Ah, I couldn't be better. How are you? I'm so happy to be speaking with you guys. No doubt. I think the pleasure is uh, at least equal, if not a little more on our side. <laughs> yep, so, hi, hi, John. Oh, hello, Chris. It's magnificent. Oh, thank you so much. Coming from you, I really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you. Oh, you're most welcome. It, it is stunning. So, no, it was a long time in coming, this book. Really? Yeah, I've How been working long? on this. Well, I've been working on it for about five years. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, so um, you've had a vision of this all along, and then you've been going at yeah, it. Yeah, I have a great story of how I... Uh, how it came about. You start talking. Okay. So um, what happened was that um, I was teaching a, uh, I, I've taught landscape design classes, college level, you know, for decades. I taught for seven years a design graduate course at Columbia University, and then continually I teach at New York Botanic Gardens. So in my classes, no matter what, invariably someone would say to me, what are the rules? And I would joke, you know, the rules. And I'd say, there are no rules. You know, you have to know proportion. You have to know scale. You have to know about the great plants. You have to know, you know, drainage. And of course, that did not satisfy them. So they want rules, you know. When I was on job sites doing my work, I would say, hey, well, this could make a good rule. Not rule, really. You know, I call it design basics. And then for my class, I would... I say, how would I get it to, so that they would remember this technique or this tip? So then I would think of these cute names for them to remember it by. And I just start to collect them, you know, these landscape design and planting tips. And after I got to about 40 of them, I decided that, um, hey, I, I've got to share this with more than just my students. <laughs> wow. And that's yeah. how it came about. So that's, it's just like the basics, and your students were wanting the basics, and everybody yeah, want wants rules. the basics. Right, they yeah. want rules. They want, how do you do it? And I go, well, right. I don't know. Um, you know, I would teach them, <laughs> you know, the way you teach class. I thought there's got to be a more fun way to uh, get certain ideas and concepts across, but also just to, in, to inspire them, too, you know, to... Hey, mm-hmm. I want to try that. I want to, I want to, this is a good idea. Let me try this, you know, and that kind of we, thing. I, I got to say, when I look at the book, that's exactly how I feel. I feel oh, inspired good. by every little vignette that you have in each chapter, and there's a lot of them, or each tip or whatever, has its own particular focus. Yeah. For example, I'm looking at the one where you hydra- you emphasize a particular plant, the snowflake oak leaf hydrangea, and you have stunning oh, yeah. photographs that go with it. But just yeah. that you did that, I, I look at those photographs, and then you rethink your own place that you're working or living and thinking, all right, how can I do that where I am? How can exactly. I get what you're saying? Where can I sneak those in, you know? Yeah, like, oh, I need to have the snowflake hydrangea, you know, again. You have to have that one, right? Yeah, and I'm looking at this one on a, what did you say, say yes to orange, or what was the chapter about orange? Oh, yeah, about color. That was, the, yeah, the section on color. Yeah, and some people I've heard 
when I'm working with people, oh, somebody told me never put orange in a garden, and I'm like, why dare you just look at this chapter in this book and not die to have orange in your garden? <laughs> you oh, thank you. It, it's so gorgeous. Yeah, yeah in love with love orange. orange. Yes. In love with orange, yes, that's it. Oh, I mean, stunning, stunning photograph. So, thank you. And that's a thank whole you. other subject is the photograph. So, are oh, these thanks. all your projects? Well, Yes, they are, except for maybe some public gardens that I call out, like the Portland, there's one picture of a Portland Japanese garden, and, but for the most part, yeah, they're my, for the most part, they're my projects. I'm looking right now to make sure that that's true, and it's true. I'm looking at all, oh yeah, that's, and I joke about that because it's like I had to, uh, design the project, install it, take the photos, and then, and do what I really wanted to do, which was to write about it. What I had well, to do and that to... brings me to another point, is your writing. Oh, your writing right. is, you know, so succinct. And yet, I was telling Chris, and I'm sure that it's also almost poetic. Oh, it is inspiring. You know, it's you're, really you're, simple, but beautifully written. I am like, I'm like going crazy. I'm being so happy because I, you know, no, not many people have seen this book yet. Because it hasn't come out until next week, so I'm really listening to your what you're telling me because I haven't had any response. Of course, yeah. you know, I've been so thank you, thank you, thank you. That I'm trying to I've tried to make it so that like people would actually read it. If people are, I wrote this the way I would write a book because what happens in garden books for me is I open the book, I look at the picture, I read the caption. And then I may read the text, maybe, you know, being honest. That's how I do I, it. I, I think that the book for the homeowner is almost at the point where they need to have a separate notebook to write notes down as they go through it. Oh, because I'm and, giving and them the, so much, right? You, you've given them everything that the designer is going to think about automatically as you go through the process of looking at a space and changing that space. Mm. Thank you. And and what that means is that everything that they need to create movement and the access and egress and the whole gambit of um, three-dimensional space culture that we use, for want of a better word, is there. Mm. So when you do the when you do the follow-ups. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could do some links with your with a website or or a, or a oh. um, blog or something that says, and in chapter two, this is why we're doing this, and it would then create even more interest for you because it's really a great book in that sense. Oh. I never even thought Does that, of that sense? frankly. Yeah, you're saying like uh, write a little bit more about whatever whatever tip it is. In, in yeah, and, and how to use yeah, and how to use it in a sequence so that you come to the result. That's a great idea. You know, in my I did put together a PowerPoint that goes with this, and I illust- I take one example of a of a very small but pretty landscape that I did, and I showed the five different tips that went into that that went into that space. You know, the See, doors, the sheltered corners. Yeah, I, I, and 
the depth of field and, and the vanishing point and so on. I, I think it's all there. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It took me yeah. how many years? Yeah. How many years did it take you in Japan to pick it all up, you know? Oh, my God. But the way it's written is fantastic. I, I'm, oh. I've almost read through to about page 100 so far. I like it. You know, I mean, I, I posted on Facebook for you on your friend's site that put up a picture of it, the various concepts of um, balance and, and harmony and all that lot, simply because that's exactly what you're conveying. Oh, thank you. That, thank you. That's exactly what I tried to do. I said, how can I make this so that people understand all the different aspects but not get overwhelmed, you know, or not get yep. bored even, or bored. That was the other thing. Oh. Yes, I think yeah. I like Chris's idea because if you had a checklist of just, well, or like even, you know, little boxes. It didn't have to explain necessarily everything, but even if it's just a list of all the little chapter or vignettes that you have and they could say, oh, yeah, I did this one and I did that one, I did that one. Oh, Ooh, and how I want to work fun with that be? Really, oh. it really would be fun. And I have a question for you. Um, yeah. Why Smokebush? Why Smokebush? I love Smokebush, too, but I want to hear why Dan especially picked out Smokebush. There's so many yeah, like, beautiful plants. Isn't that funny? Well, the, the hardest thing for me, as you can imagine, I uh, first of all, I put the plants last because all the gardeners always, that's what they want. They just want to talk plants, you know, the, the plant yeah. lovers. So I thought, well, if, I'm just going to put that very last to, so that um, it's kind of like dessert. Yeah, exactly. I have a smoke bush in front of my house that I planted. You know, and we have deer problem here, so it's a deer-resistant plant, number one, and it's got the colored leaves, number two, and then, of course, the smoke, which is so cool. Yeah. And so I thought, well, all those things put together, a red a red leaf bush with that smoke attribute and it's deer-resistant to boot, i got to include that. Yeah. So, good I know, but it's that. not the... It's not the yeah, it's not the standout plant that you would think, you know. That, well, I think it's you know, overlooked a lot, at least in I the area of the world where I live. It's not, it's used occasionally, but not like could be. It, right? It is stunning. Yeah, really. it is. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. And I think one of the reasons is, is that when you plant it, and I've had this experience many times in my landscapes, I show up with this very sad-looking shrub, and I said, oh, you have to have this. And they go, What? You know, and I plant it, and they like, that's it? That's, you know, because it doesn't look that great when you first yeah. get it and plant it. But wait a few years, and it looks amazing. Yeah, it does look amazing. It doesn't take long. It really doesn't. It grows pretty quickly and pretty happily. I yeah, love exactly. how you mentioned right off the bat um, taking advantage or bearing in mind of the east and how things should face the east. Boy, that is such a big important thing that, yeah. that I'm sure our, an- our ancestors or you know our grand great grandparents or whatever they all knew that somewhere along the line we forgot, you know, and they used to you know cite their their houses and their and their main streets of towns and everything. You know, the the Romans used to cite their main roads north to south so that the shops would face east and west. They still do that in the big city. They did that in New York City. So, but East is like, it's such an important thing. I mean, the plants wake up at the same time like us, 
And the first thing they want is that big shot of sunshine, you know? Mm-hmm. And if they don't They're get coffee. it, they kind of <laughs> languish around. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's so fascinating. So when you're designing, oh, tell me a little bit about your own home. Ah, well, that oak leaf hydrangea that you were mentioning, that snowflake uh-huh. hydrangea actually is in my little backyard. I have a very uh-huh. small, small yard, small house in a small yard. But that picture, yeah, that picture there is the two little, the Adirondack chairs behind it. That's my terrace <laughs> for oak leaf wow. hydrangea. I walk out of the, my house and that's the first thing I see in the summertime. And and the reason is... So are you primarily I, shaded or sunny or tell me about your... Primarily shaded, shaded although mm-hmm. my neighbor just chose to cut down all the uh, black locusts that were shading on his property that were shading my house, my yard. So we'll see this summer. It might be a whole different ball of wax now. Oh, it's yeah, so sad, isn't it? It might change it. It might change it. Oh, those hydrangeas may not be thriving the way they are. That's a very shady corner where they're located. But gotcha. isn't it so sad? Black locust trees, a whole, you know, they tend to grow together, um, the locust grove. And my neighbor oh, yeah. dropped them all down, and the town, oh. my town agreed. So the whole, all the, all the trees in the neighborhood are in mourning. No, I, I do believe that. Yes. Of course, yeah, all the, the Norway maples that surround the black locusts are, are standing. They, they, nobody wants to cut those down, but the black locusts get cut down. I just, disheartening, I have to say. You yeah. But anyway. Yes, yeah, so, so my yard is, is small and it's shaded, but I get to work on people's lovely properties and that's where I get to do all the fun stuff. <laughs> well, the, and that's the best of both worlds right there because you've got endless canvases to experiment with and create on, but you have your own home to come home to, so you you, you couldn't ever live in that many properties and be able to do them, so being able to just design is, is the perfect expression for you. Yes, uh, it really is. And I get to try different things for, you know, like I get to build a wall and cap it so that people can sit on it. And that was one of my tips about capping the wall. And then somewhere else I get to build a wall with no caps and see how that looks with the plants draping over. So um, I have so much experience with all these various possibilities. You know, it's just a matter of time till I put it all together and share it with others. I think... If if you were starting out with, say, a new homeowner, somebody who's first-time buyer, what would you recommend that they start doing? That's a wonderful question. I didn't um, address that in the book, but I do have an answer for you. The first thing I would tell them to do is to establish the, the uh, edges. Establish your perimeter, so to speak. And if we're trying to be eco-friendly and sustainable, of course, and you would say, well, use native plants or native trees like the black locust. And just just address the edges because then you know you where you're, you're it's like putting a mat around a, a, a painting where you have, and, and then the frame, of course. And then you have the whole interior which to 
to play with. I always tell my clients that. I say, let's start at the edges, which, of course, is not the way most people want to do it. Most people want to do whatever the big the big pizzazz is in the center. But I always say, no, let's start at the edges. That's a good point because you can, it's almost like drawing your boundaries because the only thing you can control is what's within those boundaries. So if exactly. there's something outside of your boundaries or your perimeter that you can't control, then that you automatically know, okay, I need to, that you don't want to see, then you're like, okay, I'll need to screen that. Exactly. That can lead you other in other ways, and it'll just build itself toward the house. And so, therefore, you can, you know, put in small bushes or small trees at the edges, but since it's, day, it's year one, you've just moved in, they'll grow bigger as, as time goes by, and those are the ones you want to get bigger and faster. So, how much hard structure would you consider for, say, paths and patios? I know you mentioned that the patio should be a certain size, and I 100% agree with you. I think it's 14 foot square or something like that for, four, for a round table. But yes, um, which and people always tend to make their hardscapes or their paving areas. Too small. They never consider, you know, walk around room or space for planters or a bench or whatever. I always tell people if if it's allowed by the where they live, please make it slightly bigger than you think. But again, I don't know if there's any rule per se. Although of course I design it and I always say, okay, twenty feet, you know, and and. Kind of what I tell people is uh, think of a person and think of a person as needing like three feet by three feet just to stand, and then you kind of get a sense. If you have six people in your family, you get a sense of how much you need, you know? Yeah, I what I did in, in England a couple of times, something kind of unusual. We were one of the first Toro irrigation dealers in London many years oh. ago. Actually, I got called into all sorts of really cool places because of it. We designed, we had to use a tank and a pump. We weren't allowed to have a direct connection to the water mains. So we had okay. to have an 800-gallon 800, an 800 tank we'd have to hide. Oh my Sometimes what I would do is I would put in a drainage system that drained into the tank with a filter so that we could recycle the water as it ran through the system. We found that worked really well because we could take all the runoff off the patios and the paths and the drives and put it back into the system and, and save a lot of water. It sounds it, it, like that that would be perfect these days for sustainable landscapes, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. not that difficult to do because you put the drainage underneath the irrigation pipes in the same trench. Well, you do? Yeah. You, the, the, the drains are always going to be lower. So that doesn't matter. So when the irrigation pops up, what's it? Fifty-seven percent is runoff, from what yeah. I remember, and and so therefore drainage coefficient. Yeah, yeah. You, you actually can save probably twenty percent of that, maybe thirty percent. See that? I mean, these are the things that we're going to be coming to. When I say eco-friendly, that's one of the absolute necessities. I think we're going to have to. We're going to have to be a lot more smarter than we are, than we have been. Uh, well, I think yes. I think we have to be a little bit more cognizant of less waste. 
Oh, gladly, yes. You know, and, and often you can do it, though, because people pull out bulbs and throw them away. What we used to do there was we'd park hostas with bulbs so that the bulbs would come up and then the hostas would cover them and then the bulbs would disappear and so on. It would just keep going round and round. Makes so much sense, right? That makes so yeah. much sense. Absolutely. Yeah, so much sense. And it might be shady in the summer because the leaves are out on the trees, but in the spring when the bulbs are planting, it's sunny. Exactly. Put, put, yeah. put vegetables in with the um, plants. Exactly. I know. And one thing, you know, when I in my in my PowerPoint presentation that I give that goes along with this, one thing I say, and and another impetus for this book is that we've been, you know, very much pounding the drum for native plants, pollinator gardens, you know, stormwater runoff, like you were talking about, and it's so important, and matrix planting, and all these great um, ideas. And at one point, New York Times had an article about how it wasn't about beauty. And I thought, well, wait a second. We shouldn't throw out beauty just because we're trying to save the planet. We can do both at the Mm -hmm. same time. So that was why I made sure in the title of my book to say Design Basics for Creating Beautiful Outdoor Spaces. Because that's, you know, what I'm trying to get across. How to make something beautiful. It's really important, that curb appeal, the, the, the feeling of when you drive into your driver at night and you get out of the car and you take a look and you want to look all the way around because it's so pretty. Yeah, and it just... It elevates you. It elevates the, the uh, whole feeling around you. I mean, when you walk out and, you know, you've got your tea or coffee in your hand in the morning and just to walk around and look at things, you just feel good. And that's, I think that's, you know, so important. I mean, that's partially why we do what we do, to make people feel better. Do you think we're ever going to get to the point where we have to significantly reduce the grass? Yes. I was talking about this morning. Yes. I, I think that grass is we a have very to. Uh, wasteful product in many ways. Oh, amen. Oh, I, I totally it's agree with you. It has, it has its place, and we do need some grass, but lawns don't need nearly as much grass as there. I, I totally, totally agree with you. I think, I think it's... Uh, a terrible tradition. You know, uh, it was fun, funny because I am anti, you know, all these artificial things, but there might be a place for artificial turf in that small areas that are hard to mow and you just don't, you know, you look out on them and you don't put the terrible chemicals on them and, uh, you know, you know that's exactly, that's exactly what some of my neighbors did and? in an area where I used to live where everybody's backyards are the size of a postage stamp yeah. and they 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 garden their whole perimeter and it was absolutely beautiful brought it into a just a little bit of grass i think at the time they still had a dog so they took that grass out and put an astroturf and it cost them it was like the most expensive you know little was piece of astroturf but at the same time it was also paid for itself i mean you didn't have to maintain it or mow it but the interesting thing is the only thing dan nature is so persistent they yeah. even got to the where over time they had weeds coming up in the astroturf. <laughs> no, seriously, really? Yeah. I guess that makes sense. It just lodges in the in the turf, right? Yeah. 
I know. I thought we could use some shrubs, though. There's vincas and hollies, I mean, ivy. Um, even you could use different gray tones with different type grasses in. I, well, that's true. It's, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, um, you know, that's why I love stone. You know, I love stone in the landscape. I say it's eco-friendly because you don't have to do anything to it. it it's durable. It tolerates the uh, elements, you know, you don't have to water it. <laughs> there's a there's a lot to be said for adding stone into the into the garden. Jan, I've got a question. Yeah. Okay, my dream apartment is one that is in that movie Green Card, and it's in a brownstone building in um, New York City. And I I know you can actually tour the apartment, but the what it says this place are at the top of the building and it has its own conservatory and then it also has its own outdoor area like a patio area where the character in the movie is growing you know her vegetables on top of the roof now isn't this I never saw the movie green card oh you're going to have to go back and watch it yes now I have to see this movie okay yeah oh my gosh it's and I was thinking your next look if you could I would love to see a trend in conservatory apartment buildings uh, or complexes, you know, where everybody has their own growing space, even though you're living indoors. Now, granted, only really the top floor could have that, but, you know, and have you designed for that? Wouldn't that be well, something? Oh, and you, it's, you, this is so interesting that you're telling me this because when I was a kid, I grew up for part of my childhood in Brooklyn in a brownstone. And, uh, but it wasn't one of those uh, beautifully gentrified brownstone. It was the brownstone before they gentrified it. You know, it was an old brownstone. I was obsessed with growing things, and I would grow it on the fire escape. We had no oh, yeah. yeah, I remember. So that. I would, yeah. So isn't that funny? And then when I went to college, I was all keen on growing gardens up on the rooftop, and so I did all this research on hydroponics and soilless gardening. And, uh, you know, pursued that with a passion for several years. In fact, that was my first book when I was much younger, called Gardening Without Soil. So, yeah, I kind of, I definitely see that as the future. And then, of course, now look, now look, the, you know, we're going to have all the rooftops be green very soon. And we, we're going to have to change the cities. We just have to. We, just, we won't have a choice. We won't have a choice. I first built a rooftop, a green roof. In 1984. Wow. Artificial rocks. We've got an award for it. During the is this in London? Yeah. Well, this yeah. was in Kingston. I've done five or six in London. What we did was, the secret was modular. As soon as oh. you managed to make it into a modular layout, you could, and it didn't have to look modular, it just had to be modular because of the way that the external services are on a roof generally. Sometimes they're inverted and you have to be able to access them. Yeah, it was fun. We, we got two awards for roof garden, but this particular one in Kingston, the, the rocks were artificial and they looked real and were about three foot tall. The first thing that happened to us was the truck got stopped by the police were overloading because they were convinced that they were rocks. Oh, that's <laughs> hysterical. 
yes, it was. But then the worst thing was, in 1987, there was a hurricane in England, and one of those three-foot rocks blew off the roof. It was on six, the sixth floor and landed in the marketplace. Oh, that's, oh, that's King, hysterical. We got, we got it back, but here's the problem. There was no way we could get it in the lift. It was too big, so we had to haul it up the outside of the building. Get it back in place. Oh, how funny. And then now, how did you, did you make these rocks? Where did you get these foamy rocks? Yeah, they were made out of fiberglass. We took molds and, and, and made them, and then we made them into planters. I'll have to send you a picture. But, but the funny Chris, you could, if you could do that now, you would have a thriving business. Yeah, I could do it now. It's quite, I'll, I'll send it to you. But here's the funny yeah. thing of all, okay? So I'm out on the roof about 7 o'clock at night checking the um, summer bedding, and one of the Japanese directors of this particular company, I'm not going to mention them because it's not fair, comes out, and, and you know how formal the Japanese are, he bows to me, I've got a tray of geraniums in my hand, so I bow, he goes, ah, good evening, and I'm going, good evening, and he goes up to the uh, rock and taps it and says, ah, rock, and I go up to the rock and tap it and go, ah, plastic. <laughs> He looked at me for a few seconds and laughed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great... Do you, do you have photos, like, to put together oh, yeah. a little presentation on that? I would love to see that. Absolutely, yeah. I, that would be... How the planters were made. I've got some pictures of those, too. Wow. But the beauty was, because they were hollow, we could put all this compost in them. So we were growing rhododendrons on the roof. Oh, my goodness. It was so easy. You can't grow red and on the in Kansas City, I don't think. Yeah, right? Well, it depends. I'm, I must admit, there is, a, the roof, there is a roof garden here that's died, but I suspect that it's because they didn't have enough depth of material. Yeah. And that's what's caused it to die. But, but there's always a way of warming a roof. It's, after all, got all the heat coming from the bottom. Right. The problem is how to use it. That's right. And they and they never build roofs with the idea that they have to sustain a lot of weight, which is all right. Well, you definitely get that. The, the snow loading is a really big problem. Actually, it's the concentration of people that's the problem, if you think about it, because the actual snow loading can be a few hundred pounds and it doesn't matter. But if you've got 10 or 12 people coming out at the same time and congregating, that's an enormous impact at that spot. Right. And that's exactly yeah. what happened where we're living now. People uh, got up onto the top of this older, you know, historic building and were able to have a great view and a great time up there. And then all of a sudden, in the different units beneath, they started having leakage in this, and they found out that they ruined the they ruined the roof. Yeah. Uh. I, I can believe that. Plus, you've got to have that safety um, barrier on the parapet that's at least three foot high, four foot high maybe, to stop people yeah. from falling. But Which, anyway. That, that they don't know. But I, I would definitely send those to you. Yeah, that sounds fascinating actually. Really? Yeah. Before when we did that. Yeah, and, and then no the th- idea of making your own rocks, you know, with the fiberglass, what a great idea. Yeah, you just take a face and then you bond it and join it together. It, we, we were very lucky. We made um, fiberglass um, plant containers for a company in France. It was one of the 
side things that we did, which was really? so it helped. But so you now need to give us a little plug because we we're probably at the point where we have the ideal amount of time of recording, and I shall take this piece out. But um, oh. please, far away. I, I like your um, publisher. You've changed, I noticed. And um, yes. where's available and everything like that? Oh, okay. So Gardentopia, it's coming out April 2nd. The publisher is Countryman Press, which is an imprint of W.W. Norton. And um, I'm hoping that this book, Gardentopia, Desi- Design Basics for Creating Beautiful Outdoor Spaces, is everywhere, you know, in bookstores and online. And I don't know if I mentioned it, but there's 135 different uh, design suggestions and planting tips. Wow. And how can people reach you, Jan, with any comments, questions? Do you have oh, a website thank you. Or an email? Okay, well, I'm I'm every day I post on Facebook. I have three Facebook pages. One is called Serenity in the Garden Blog, which is also the name of my blog, which I write on. So you can contact me through Facebook um, or through my blog. And the other two pages is called Heaven is a Garden and the Spirit of Stone, each of which have their own Facebook pages. And I respond to everybody. You know, and every morning um, I, I post. Every morning. Well, and I have Twitter. You. Yeah. You know, Chris was just reminding me that the last time we interviewed you, you were talking about the tree bathing that they do in Japan. And just to know how much your um, that talk had an influence, someone here in our area a beautiful Native American woman with a huge, stunning piece of property herself, kind of a wilderness within the city limits, uh, has now started classes on that here in the Midwest. Are you serious? Really? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Isn't that fantastic? You see that? That's wonderful. Oh, I love, I love when that happens. That was because of you and what you had shared. How many years ago we did that interview? A couple, three years ago. And so, yeah, Dan, you're awesome. You're touching the planet with all of your beautiful ideas and your wisdom oh, and your you. spirit. So thanks for being you. You're just amazing. Oh, well, thank you so much. That is why I'm here, frankly. That's, I, I, always, I say that to my husband. I said, that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and that's all you can do is, is do you. And so yeah. you didn't do. You know, that, that would be a void for all of us, so thank you. This well, thank great. you so much, Ann. And thank you, Chris. I love your stories. Yeah, I'm sorry about the stories. I what? love the stories. I'm going to interview you next time. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Thanks so much. All right, Ann. We'll be talking to you again. You take care. Okay. okay. Bye now. trends.org for the podcast or we all are, are on iTunes. You can look for us as Grown Trends there as well. Look for the blonde and the brute and then you'll know that must be them. Thanks for Man and Chris.